You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where sometimes some crimes go slipping through the cracks. I'm your host, Justin M. Wisniewski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I hope you are all surviving the quote-unquote new wave of COVID that is out there. I don't even know if they're even bothering to call it a different um, variant right now, but I know there is some people trying to hype that COVID's going around. Uh, let's 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 see what's going on. Hopefully, my co-host is surviving as well. Joining me this trip from Dale's lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green, the Delta Force. Uh, yeah, things are going great out here, man. Uh, it's been uh, it's been so much fun um, this weekend. Went uh, went and test drove a couple of. Uh, used Aston Martins just to, uh, uh, with a friend we were, he has a car podcast and, uh, it was my first time in a Aston Martin. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. We went down to uh, Huntington beach down in, down in the OC and, uh, man, you just sit at the beach there, you know, and really nice cars just start driving by. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I didn't notice any other strains going around. Did you this weekend, Justin? I don't know. It's it's it seems it seems that there are some people that are uh, trying to bring COVID back, you know, bring sexy back. Um, some people are very yeah. Worried. I know I know people who like. I mean, is I the was new cycle just, is Ukraine. Are we giving up on Ukraine? I, I I don't know. Well, we may be trying to cover up for the forty billion being given to Ukraine. Forty billion. That's a, that's the new variant, right? The new tax variant. Why yeah. don't we ever talk about that <laughs> tax variant? Uh, no, I mean, I was, you know, I had, I was congested for like a week and I had one night where I took NyQuil, whether it was COVID or not. I mean, that's what we said from the beginning, right? That you can't really distinguish between COVID and the flu or cold or sinus infection. So why are we making such a big deal out of it? And all the studies recently came out. What's interesting to me, William, is all the studies came out recently that, as we said, you know, as we noticed, it only killed old people or mainly killed old people. And now people are still buying into it. It's just... Look, it just goes to show the long-term effects of events such as these. And what I mean by that is, obviously, there are you know, socio-political ramifications, but the effects on people's psychology. The people who bought into it and believed it aren't simply just going to look at evidence and change their minds. people don't work that way, especially people who don't come from a more rational or empirical standpoint. That's the the real long COVID I'm worried about. Right. 100%. Well, let's talk about some other long stuff that exists, because I think all of the news stories this week are sort of longer cultural ramifications and will have further longer cultural ramifications. Let's do it in Life on the Midside. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon and Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations or not just affirmations. If you want to, you know, just send a message with some thoughts. That's always super helpful, too. I mean, let's look at the first thing we're going to talk about here. Dropped in the discord by Midsider D Menifee. We have Central Park Birdwatcher. Oh, Central Park Karen Birdwatcher. It's, it's really weird if you read that without the context. Central Park Karen Birdwatcher. Like, is there a specific type of bird called Karen that he's watching for? 
Or is this just a guy who goes around and watch Karens and calls them birds? Because remember back in the day where they used to call women birds? So it's a really weird headline out of context. But uh, Christian Cooper lands new TV show. Now, to be clear, this is referring back to, if you remember, around the time of the the riots and George Floyd and everything, there was a, a video of a woman just yelling at a black guy in Central Park for no reason, right? And everyone went after her. She was one of the first people that was sort of like the brunt of the mob and one of the largest examples of culture cancel culture back then. And now, uh, as Midsider D. Menefee said, he said, this is one glow up I did not see coming. And I think the only reason we didn't see it coming, William, is look at this guy. Like, I have a theory I have a theory, William, when I look at this guy, like this guy, like his his biceps are bigger than my head. This guy is in shape. He looks intelligent, right? William, my theory, before we even get into the, the, the show that this guy's being given, my theory about why this woman reacted the way she did, I think she was just attracted to him and uncomfortable with being attracted to him. I'm I'm just laughing because it, it, it's it's like one of those uh, you know those uh, those uh, Christian right uh, politicians that get caught, uh, caught tapping their toe sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it could be there, but uh, hey, I mean, what a what a great marketing! Uh, if you can if you can you can um, somehow draw in the meme audience, maybe this will work. I don't know, but well, right. That's the thing. Like uh, you know. Midsider D. Menifee was like, this is a glow up I did not see coming. Only because we didn't see him. If you look at this guy, this is like a, like you said, it's a brilliant marketing technique. National Geographic is giving him a bird watching show, which no one's ever had a marketable bird watching show yet. And this is what they said. Whether braving stormy seas in Alaska for puffins, trekking into rainforest in Puerto Rico for parrots, or scaling a bridge in Manhattan for a peregrine falcon, he does whatever it takes to learn about these extraordinary feathered creatures and show us the remarkable world in the sky above here's the thing William I don't know if this guy has ever done any of those things before this show so I just look at this and I see this as a positive outcome of farce and what I mean by that is hey like you said hey if they can get the meme audience but at the same time this guy just looks like a dude who just likes watching birds and how often in our culture are we like hey you bird watcher we're going to give you a lot of money and help you travel the world does that ever happen yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> maybe this maybe this could transition to a whole uh, travel show that like, focused on bird watching. I mean, it looks like they've they've got the formula down from from Anthony Bourdain and others. So this could be uh, this could be a money maker. And uh, and yeah, like you said, who who's I I mean maybe on PBS there must have been a bird watching show at some point. But um, but yeah, this is a uh, this is a uh, I guess this is uh, some side effects may include a, a farce, right? Like. And, and maybe a, sometimes you get a positive side effect. Yeah, every once in a while, the uh, the social justice flailing flails in the correct direction, right? We're giving a guy yeah. our culture. Like, this seems like a guy who, look, maybe it's just the, the pictures, but these just seem like candid. Well, one seems like a, a PR still, but the other one's a candid. This seems like a dude who just, like, likes doing what he likes doing. Like, this is a value he holds. And it ends up that because he's black, he ended up within this, you know, social justice machine and he is accidentally being rewarded for a positive thing, even though they're rewarding him for a negative thing. Yeah, now, the yeah. argument w- would be that we're rewarding him because he's black, but I don't give a shit. I think it's cool. You know what I mean? And if we get one right by accident, we'll take that as a victory. And talking about unintended consequences here, William, uh, college football is sort of going through a... A change that I want to know what you think about it. Transition, yeah, yeah. They're transitioning, and I want to know what you think of it because this is all rooted in the idea that college football players are slaves, right? The idea that even though we give them free room, board, and education that other people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars and get in debt for, that they were slaves because the schools were making so much money off of them. So what happened is the NCAA ruled that players can now make money off of their name, image, and likeness, which I actually, I don't disagree with. I don't think that ever should have been illegal to begin with, right? I mean, the idea that, you know, take Trevor Lawrence, for example, the guy who was like the runaway number one pick and won the national title with Clemson and got there a second time. 
the, the idea that that guy couldn't sell an autograph. And also, where's the line with that, right? If you're like, oh, I'm going to travel to this place and, you know, say he was like going to travel to a place and speak at a conference. Could they give him free room and board? Was that allowed? Free entry into the into the um, conference. And yeah. likewise, there were also problems with recruiting where you're not allowed to give people gifts and stuff. Now, I'm not here to talk about the entire line, but the question of where the line is, is being stepped on right now because Nick Saban, and I want to be clear that he later apologized for these comments, although I don't think he had anything to apologize for, uh, took shots at Texas A&M over the way they're using the national, uh, the, the name image and likeness clause policy to recruit players. He said, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on the team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player. But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. Now, what he's referring to is there are third-party booster groups who are collaborating with the schools to raise money from donors to essentially pay salaries for these players. I don't know if they're paying them in lump sums or paying them in, you know, with contract. I don't know how they're doing that, but it's essentially saying, Oh, we are going to pay you for your name, image and likeness. And William, to me, and I want to know what you think. This is not the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is, and this is my perception. So again, I'm really interested in yours. These players, when they go out, they can go to a fan event and charge for autographs or charge for appearances, or make endorsement deals with companies. Now, you can also get murky with this as well, right? If a certain company has a deal with a certain university, right? Well, let's say, for instance, and I don't know if this is true, but let's say Raising Cane's based in Louisiana has a deal with LSU, and then they say, oh, make sure our number one recruit gets a good offer for you for endorsement if he comes here. That's murky as well, although I would say there are business interests that are sort of keeping that at bay, right? You don't want to invest too much just to help these universities when you're a company, right? Whereas these third-party groups, the only thing they care about is giving the money to get a better football team, right? So my question for you is, what what do you think of this? I mean, because to me, these third-party groups are not the letter of the law. Uh, There's no... There's... This could have gone no other way, though, is the way I, I agree about it. Because you don't think, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the uh, big, uh, big uh, talent agency out here? Like that, that, you don't think that these little groups, that these booster pair groups, aren't just going to get swallowed up by, uh, you know, William Morris or whoever talent agency? They're just, they, you know, they're going to let these guys experiment, find something that works, and then the big talent agencies to just take this over. So do you think it's fair though? Because one of the things that has been wonderful about college football recently is that other teams can compete because with the way communication tech technology is nowadays, players can go to any school and still be seen. So there's not as much incentive to go to these big programs unless of course you want to like be coached by someone like Nick Saban. But now they that basically is just going to go to the biggest programs. I mean, I would think like Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Notre Dame. I think they'd be able to recruit the most players because they have the biggest fan bases. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the, I think in the on the long run, this is all going to work out because the uh, like you said, this should have never been a thing that was. Uh, This, your name and image and likeness should not have been something you gave up without compensation anyway to join the football program, right? Right. It, and and people people have been running into this, um, you know, Instagram uh, and TikTok and other places where people can make money uh, have been have been a problem for some of these athletes as well, right? Because maybe right. they have followings, an audience, a Patreon, and then they, you know, they get recruited. They have to stop all that. Right, and then and then <clears throat> I, I don't know about you, Justin, but I worked uh, two to three jobs all through college, right? 
Uh, and if I had a revenue stream like that, that I just had to give up, um, not because I didn't have time for it, but because, you know, just some arbitrary rule, I, I don't think I would have liked that very much. Right. No, I agree completely, especially with what you're saying about the, the social media presence nowadays. Say somebody starts selling T-shirts, they can't sell T-shirts anymore because they're supposed to be amateur. And look, I agree completely they should be amateur athletes if they're playing in in college yeah, football. Yeah. But it's like you said, I think it will all work out in the long run because one question I have about this, are people really going to donate to these third-party groups that much where they, it's sustainable? Oh like, yeah. Do, is there, uh, you, you don't think you don't think you don't think the Michigan alumni would be able to sustain. I mean, they don't want to give it to the school anymore. Have you seen, you know, all the wokeness well, coming out of the school? Yeah. So yeah, maybe if it's 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 changing from that, but they can always rewrite the laws, right? Where these third-party groups aren't be allowed aren't allowed to be used. Right? The idea that you maybe, you but, know, but, this isn't but, what what would that even mean? I mean, what is an agent but not this? Well, no, that's how is an agent the same as this? this is, I'm a little confused at that. An agent takes a percentage of whatever you make. So if you go out and you get a commercial, they'll take like 5% from that. Here, people are raising money and they're going, come here and we'll give you $100,000 to come here. Yeah. It's, I, an agent's not doing that. An agent does have a signing bonus when they, when they transfer a big star over? Yeah, but that's to, not to work with the school. That's to work with the specific agent. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I have no problem with that because that's somebody who can help them get opportunities to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. I mean, Nick Saban even said that he encouraged them to seek out agents. Yeah, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Well, we'll my see. thing is, I, I, if it's gonna, I, I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like it's 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 the the transactions are going the other way, so it just seems real unusual. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if is is the. Texas A and M going to win the next uh, the the national championship in the next three years because they were well, able to right. pay players more, right? And that's the other thing that has to be seen here. And when you said it'll come out in the wash, and I think that that's something that needs to be pointed out in our culture of instant gratification. Where oh, are you going to are you going to see are you see a push for uh, um, for because how I, I would say how does the NFL deal with this right? There are certain players who have um, better social media, uh, better endorsements, those sort of things. And we already see, you know, would would Barry Sanders have been Barry Sanders if he had not played for uh, a crappy Lions team versus, you know, a good, I don't know, who was good back then, Dallas? Yeah. Would he, would he have been Barry Sanders? Because he was the best player by far on, on the uh, Detroit team, right? Would he be? Would he be a star, a complete standout? Everyone watching his every move star. If he had been on a team like I don't know, like the Forty ers or the or the Cowboys or something like that, he'd still be a good player. Still be a great player. Still be a Hall of Fame player. But would he be, you know, endorsing things at quite that rate? Well, I mean, that's different because they're already professionals. I mean, the, the point you're raising points to the draft. Where, I mean, you want to talk about slavery, the idea that these kids can't decide what city they want to live in, what team they want to play for. It's just who are they, whoever they get drafted by, they just have to go there or they don't get to yeah. play. I mean, that's kind of messed up. No one ever really talks about that. That's for the name of parody. I think your other point, though, your other point, though, about this will all work itself out. And as I was saying, in our culture of instant gratification, whenever we make changes, we always want everything to work perfectly immediately. And that's yeah. not realistic. Yeah. And that's that's what we're seeing here. And I think that the fact that Nick Saban had to apologize for this. How William, dare he have an opinion, Justin? Right, exactly. How, how dare he have an opinion on something that he is arguably the world expert on? There right? is no, I was going to say, there's no one, no one, not a single reporter that could ask him a question that he has not asked himself already about this situation. Right. And he, he he shouldn't have an opinion on something that's drastically changing something he does, recruiting. Like, it's ridiculous. And especially when it's someone in his own conference and it could directly affect his level of success on the field. Like, okay, you know, I don't think there's any way he particularly said it wrong, 
Like, I don't think he was like attacking anyone or anything, but theoretically, if he did, he could have uh, apologized for how he said it, but for having an opinion and saying it at all, of course, you know, maybe Nick Saban should have listened to his mentor, Bill Belichick, and just, you know, said, we're on to Cleveland rather than, you know, we're on to the, we're on to Cincinnati rather than even indulge in this conversation. So that was probably his first mistake. And speaking of people who make mistakes, William, we were sent, I think it was, was it Midsider, um, Midsider, yeah, Midsider, Midsider Cody sent this story. Sorry, somebody else responding. Um, Midsider Cody actually just is listening live and just made a comment about the Birdwatcher story. He said it could become a reality show with other Karens making their appearance. I, You know... How has somebody not made a reality show about Karens yet? That's actually a good point. Um, Now, Midsider Cody sent in this next story about a world-renowned cancer researcher who's now collecting unemployment. I'm not going to go into all the the gritty details here, all the gritty details, but uh, if you look in the Discord, the story's in there. This guy, David Sabatini, was a researcher who was doing very important and very respected research, and he was receiving a lot of grants, especially from the NIH. The NIH, right? A, a government grant. The National Institutes of Health. And what happened was, after his divorce, he's in his 50s, I believe he said he was 50, or in his 50s, and he entered into a consensual sexual relationship with a younger colleague, someone who came on as a fellow at the place where he was working. Well, what ended up happening years later is after they had cut up, cut ties somewhat amicably, the way this story described the breakup and the, the, the subsequent interactions was there was no sort of toxicity there. It was actually refreshing to read that they could still remain cordial with each other and even friendly texting each other in a friendly way. Uh, the woman accused him of basically sexual misconduct, right? Just the way he supposedly preyed on her using his position of power to manipulate and enter into a sexual relationship with her. And this got him fired from the position he was in and made him unhirable. There's a part in the story at the end where Columbia entered into negotiations with him and then people started protesting because in the same way people still to this day protest the quote unquote don't say gay bill for Something it isn't. It's not the don't say gay bill, right? It's the parental education, uh, parental rights and education bill. Here they're protesting for something he didn't do because this woman said he did something and then he was fired for it. And uh, they're protesting because that's what they think he did. And so he's essentially unhirable. And part of why this happened, William, and this really stuck out to me, was the new language in the NIH grants where essentially if somebody keeps someone like this around or this guy moves to a new place, it can destroy any organization because the NIH will destroy... Yeah, here we go. Until recently, the NIH deterred institutions from firing or even investigating scientists who brought in a lot of NIH money because that money usually followed the scientists, not the institutions. So for years, universities and other research organizations often turned a blind eye to their superstars' bad behavior for fear of losing multi-million dollar grants. To correct this, the NIH amended its policy in June 2020. Moving forward, if principal investigators are accused of harassment, bullying, retaliation, or hostile working conditions, recipient institutions are obligated to alert the NIH, who would use the information to decide whether or not to reassign the grant. The NIH hoped to end the game of pass the harasser. So what this new policy did, William, from my perspective is, made it so these organizations are beholden to the government to destroy people's lives. What do you think of this whole mess, William? Because yeah, I, I think, think this should, guy, we, the way I it's think, written, yeah, we should comes do, across... we should just cut straight to the chase, and he should be branded with the Scarlet Letter. Isn't he already essentially? Yeah, yeah. I mean, while well, why we should just have it make take physical form instead of this uh, all this high tech stuff. Let's be explicit about what we're doing. It it it, it is exactly the Scarlet Letter, right? Uh, we don't need to know the evidence or anything else. He's been uh, he's been accused and uh, and and therefore he he's a serial uh, a harasser or whatever they're going to say and 
And so now, yeah, he should never work in science again. We have to trust the science. And the science says that the best way to deal with, uh, deal with people is to uh, uh, find them guilty on no evidence and then uh, uh, shun them from, from society. It, is, isn't it weird that this is something from the, from the left now that was so something from the right before? You know, in the 80s and 90s, this whole, like, shunning and uh, discommodating people. And it, it's just crazy to me that we've, uh, we've, I've lived long enough, Justin, to see, uh, to see it uh, completely flip, flip sides, this tactic of, uh, of wearing the scarlet letter. Well, yeah, what what you're referring to is what they say in this article where several lawyers, lawyers said he was denied his due process. And it's oh, yeah, it, it's it's something that we do as a culture. And as you point out, the right used to do it and now the left does it. It's this idea of circumventing the legal system based upon what our moral values are. Now, I, I certainly wouldn't tell anyone to never, never exert you know, your moral values and that, that choice with who you associate with and what companies you work with. But the idea that every company is held to the same standard, right? That, I mean, think about it. Columbia, couldn't people with different values and a different view of reality work there than the same with everyone else in the country? There should be that. There should be that. There should be a diversity across the country. But instead, we have this idea that everyone must be the same and have the same moral values across the country, and all conversation is dead, right? Going back to the last story that whenever something is changed, instantly everything must be perfect. There can't be an ongoing conversation. Nick Saban must apologize for what he said. Likewise, Columbia University must apologize for considering hiring this person, because we think it's perfectly normal for everyone to protest everything at any time if they disagree with it, and people have to bend the knee to the protesters. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this this must be the difference between science and the science, right? We've got to follow the science. Uh, you know, with a capital T and S, right? It, it's it so feels like a. Uh, a a religious. I mean, we've commented on this before. This is a, this is a religious cult. This is a this is a purity uh, uh, test, right? This is a uh, an, this is exactly McCarthyism, right? He's a communist, therefore he cannot work in science anymore. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. And the thing that's that's crazy to me. And again, there's a difference between you know. McCarthyism working for the federal government and working for a private institution like this. Now, part of it is we're getting involved. With there is these no grants. private science. Come on now. There's no private science in healthcare. Not in the United States. Well, that's that's part of the problem, isn't it? That we've so made this line between public and private uh, obscured, blurred, that people think they have this right because of that. Isn't that the problem here? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I again, I have no problem. Have your little cult. Have your little religion. Have your whatever. And I, I shouldn't use the, little, the word little dismissively. Have your beliefs. Have Believe whatever you believe and make your decisions based on that. But we're to the point now because, as you pointed out, right, everything runs through the federal government now. So everyone wants everything to be the same across the country. And the world does not work that way. You're supposed to, and the country was originally founded on the idea of federalism, right? That you're supposed to have different things working in different places where you may not want to go. That's okay. You could not like Florida. Don't come here, right? I left California because I don't like it. That's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. But instead, everyone wants everything to be the same. I mean, it's a really easy hop skip and a jump between this and the abortion story do you see that connection william mm, okay yeah definitely in another place we're seeing this unless you have any other comments on this story is we haven't talked about it yet on the show but the amber heard johnny depp story where this is being politicized so much because everyone wants to see Everyone wants everyone to see this trial exactly the same. Everyone wants everyone to see 
one side is wrong and one side is right. There's no middle ground. And also, if you don't see it the same way, you're absolutely evil because of that. And it's falling on these same lines as exactly what happened to the scientists. This believe all women's line, right? So there's a couple things I want to read from this story. So the, there's a there was a story on Vox that I found particularly provocative this week. It says, why the Depp Heard trial is so much worse than you realize. And I have a few excerpts here that I want to read and talk about. So the first excerpt here. To put it mildly, this surreal explosion of internet cultural vilification of Heard feels dispiriting and troubling. What made so many millions of people feel so justified in treating such a personal toxic relationship like popcorn fodder? I'm going to stop there for a second. Um, maybe because they're celebrities and that's what we do with celebrities, especially nowadays where everyone puts everything online as popcorn fodder for each other. Are we really going to fool ourselves and pretend that social media isn't just popcorn fodder for everyone? People aren't spending a lot of time when you post something. People aren't spending a lot of time considering what you posted. That's one of my biggest problems with social media is all the the content is made to be disposable. It's made to be something you look at for five to 30 seconds and then you move on with. So that's why it's being treated that way. That's how we treat everything nowadays. And that's why when you're talking about the internet cultural vilification of herd, well, that's what they do. The internet picks a side. People on the internet pick a side. Continuing at what point before the bot armies and men's right activists poisoned the well of discourse around this trial could a reasonable assessment of the evidence and the facts have been made? Did that point ever exist? As you can see, my answer to that question is no, that point never existed. So this person is flailing in the wind to make a point because they want believe all women. Most of the reporting on these memes has placed the blame for their sensationalist tone squarely on the evolution of fandom content creation. But recall the white supremacist alt-right movement has a long history of memifying everything that went to normalize and legitimize and keep in the forefront of your mind that the alt-right latched onto this case as its bulwark long before fandom and the internet at large did. By now, after years of political disinformation campaigns, we're used to social media's natural ability to contort reality. Rarely, however, has it bent this far, this rapidly, for this many people in service of something this vile. William, do you see it this way? Do you see that the people against Amber Heard are white supremacists, yeah, alt-right I, manosphere? Uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm laughing because, uh, Justin, that, that is the story that you're, you are, uh, you know, that you're able to find. You know what I'm reading about articles about how this whole Amber Heard trial stuff, uh, just, uh, is, is just a demonstrating Gamergate. So it's all Gamergate. So, uh, yes. I, well, yeah, those are connected, is, remember? Oh, yeah, it's all connected. Uh, where's the, it's right. all connected meme, right? Like, it's a, it's, it's Gamergate, it's, uh, it's white supremacy. Gamergate was white supremacy. Yeah, exactly. You didn't of remember of course that? it was. Yeah, I've, it was. Yeah, of course. Uh, and we'll so, get yeah, to that Gamergate, Gamergate in a second. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's all connected. White people exist, Justin. Therefore, uh, that's original sin, right? Yeah. White people exist, so it's original sin. White men sin. are at the bottom of the uh, oppression Olympics, or the top, depending on the, you know, how you want right, to... Right, they're the ones it. with the most original sin. And that's the thing here, right? Like, so I've read some of this stuff, and I really don't have much of an opinion because I don't really care all that much to get deep into this. But I think something that in our Me Too culture we don't discuss, William, is where's the line between a pattern of intentional abuse and people who make mistakes there seems to be in this article an argument that johnny depp would get drunk and then do things that are quote-unquote abusive to amber heard and you know i i won't defend any of the behavior that he is you know accused of right but why is it we say that you know anyone who and this is going to be hard to to say because people are going to like be like oh well that sounds like you're doing this blah 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 I want to be clear. You should seek to control yourself and when you're in a relationship, not say things you don't mean and to be an adult and to, you know, not yell, not hit and things like that. And I know they say, you know, if someone would hit you, they would do it again. But context matters, William. And again, I'm straight edge. So I think the drinking is the problem here with Johnny Depp. But if he's drinking and doing things, 
that he shouldn't be doing, right? Where is the line between mistakes and legitimate abuse that needs to be stopped and is illegal? And I would say the same thing with Amber Heard. I don't know her behavior, right? You know, should she be texting him the things she's saying? Should she be calling him the names she's saying? No. But where is the line? And I don't think that discussion is ever had nowadays because there's a zero tolerance policy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. I don't... When you have this kind of worldview, though, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to zoom out, right? It, this is a, it's yeah. an all-encompassing worldview, right? It's just like um, fundamentalist Christianity or, or uh, uh, hardcore um, Islamic uh, uh, terrorist uh, sort of uh, worldviews. It's all, you know, it's all, you know, it's all God's will. Um, the, the Holy Spirit, which is uh, white supremacy, is moving through. And, uh, you know, Gamergate is the... Uh, it's the playbook, right? It's the uh, it's the uh, the New Testament. Um, it it's a it's just a bizarre um, it's a it's a bizarre poison to your thinking. It's a lens that uh, distorts everything that you observe in culture or every behavior that you judge in yourself and others. Right. And what you're saying actually goes perfectly into the conclusion of this article. So I'm going to read three paragraphs here, the last three paragraphs. The Depp Heard trial has refined the Gamergate playbook, as you just said, William. I don't know if you saw that in the outline, and that's why you said that phrase. But I, I saw right it in there. the article. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called it's called show prep, Justin. <laughs> in a way that will haunt us for years to come. It has proven to extremists that if you rally around the right, beloved if you rally around the right beloved public figure or institution, blanket them in a protective sphere of outrage and misinformation and weaponize fandom culture already so prone to ideological radicalization and irrational groupthink, you can successfully push whatever media narrative you want to into the mainstream. There's no coming back from this. The actual trial verdict is all but irrelevant now. It's not just that Amber Heard will forever be an imperfect accuser whose own volatile history was used to help destroy a revelatory movement in Me Too. It's that there will be other Amber Heards, and many of them will be marginalized with far fewer resources to withstand this onslaught of hate. It's not a coincidence that this spectacle is playing out against a backdrop of perpetually escalating racist violence and rapid erosion of decades of human rights for women, queer, and trans people. The Depp Heard trial has just trained millions of people to discard their own empathy, their own rational judgment, in exchange for the gleeful mockery, rejection, and belittlement of a woman making herself vulnerable in public. If you don't think that training will be weaponized against vulnerable targets, you haven't been paying attention. And here's the thing about all this, William. There's a kernel of truth in here, right? The idea that people are discarding their rational judgment in in exchange for what this person is saying with networked harassment. The idea that you get in your group and it becomes okay to harass anyone that disagrees with you. I agree completely that's going on, but this person in the final paragraphs here is contributing to that. They're contributing to that by by thinking of people in groups and acting like, I mean, think about what it says here, right? A, 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 a belittlement of a woman making herself vulnerable in public. She made herself vulnerable in public she said in her op-ed that Donny, Johnny Depp accused her, or uh, sorry, abused her. She said in that op-ed that he abused her, and then he used his legal right to sue her for defamation and have a court of law decide whether it was defamation or not. So why is this person getting up in arms that there's a conversation about this? Because it goes back to what you said, William, about the purity here, that believe all women. She must always be believed because she is a woman. And that goes back to destroy a revelatory moment in Me Too. So the idea that this person is working off of is this puritanical premise that the men are evil and the women are good. Whereas, as I said earlier with the whole college football thing, this should be a recalibration point. If we do need to believe more women, let's figure out how and the best way of doing it. Let's not just, anytime a man fights back, 
say, oh, well, the man's evil. Isn't that as much network? Isn't this article as much network to harassment as this article is complaining about? Isn't that the irony here? Yeah, yeah, that, that is definitely the irony here. I mean, we we are seeing, we see this constantly in any, and I'm not going to pick on any group in particular, but one, when you get together, just like you're saying, when when there's a group and you call others the outsider, uh, then it's very natural, it's very human to project all of your faults onto that other. I mean, that's where we get scapegoat from, right? And And so... Of course, we're seeing the exact the exact behavior that they're decrying in the article. They're actually doing that behavior, like that. Yeah, of course, right? Like that's then that that's that's something that you must be aware of that you must watch out for in yourself when you when you get caught up in these uh, in these uh, mobs, right? I don't know. I think that's the lesson that 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 we should really take away from from these these sorts of discussions and situations. Completely, that when you participate in these mobs. You take away an important element of your individuality, which is the ability to self-assess, the ability to self-assess. When you get behind these moral causes, you don't think of, oh, who am I and how do I want to comport myself? How do I want to portray myself? You just think I'm in the right and that gives me the the moral sanction to do whatever I want and say whatever I want. And that's certainly a lot of what's going on here with both sides, right? Oh, well, Johnny Depp's in the right. So I can say whatever I want about Amber Heard. Oh, Amber Heard's in the right. So I can say whatever I want about Johnny Depp. And we need to remember that we need to remember that it's not about group identity. It's not about group identity. It's about trying to figure out the best way to do things. And remember, we're living a process right now. And part of that process is just trying to make things work. It's not trying to always attack everyone. And, you know, sometimes we accidentally get things right and Christian Cooper gets a new TV series. But then another time we got people apologizing for things they shouldn't apologize for. And Nick Saban, we've got Sabatini losing his career over things. And then we have this whole, I mean, you want to talk about witness the farce. Isn't William, and we can move on to the next segment after this, but... Isn't the the Depp Heard trial exactly the farce that was referred to in Atlas Shrugged, where everyone thought that Francisco was coming in to watch this kind of farce, but really he was watching the other kind of farce? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So it's so crazy how sometimes fiction is reflected in reality or fiction leads to reality. So, I mean, on that note, why don't we talk about some fiction? Because I think people are probably sick of hearing about all this stuff. Let's do it in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. If you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You'll find that at themidside.com or themidside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and in there you will find the invite code for the Discord. Again, join our Discord. It's a great way. We're going to get a lot of commentary this week from people who talked about the uh, sorry, I'm just looking at a comment in the Discord right now. Um, we're going to have a lot of comments on the trailers and trailer takedown because a lot of Midsiders submitted this week, so that's awesome to see. So I would hope you would join in, and I look forward to seeing what you have to say about what we said this week. Let it never be said that we don't listen to our audience. All right, the movie I watched this week to review is Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It was released on Disney Plus exclusively, was not in theaters. Uh, They marketed this as it's not a reboot, it's a comeback. William, have you watched this movie at all? No, I haven't. Please tell me it's worth it. I cannot tell you that because I would not be honest if I told you that. So essentially what this movie does is it takes... 
Chippendale's Rescue Rangers and it situates it in a Roger Rabbit type world where Chippendale are animated chipmunks who were starring in a show called Rescue Rangers and now they're living in modern day Los Angeles and their lives are kind of not working. But in real life, their co-star Monterey Jack is kidnapped and they have to then go rescue him. So the Rescue Rangers sort of become real. Uh, It's directed by Akiva Schaefer from The Lonely Island and likewise stars Andy Samberg as Dale. It stars John Mulaney as Chip. Uh, There's also other familiar voices in here, such as Dennis Hasbritt. Uh, um, Seth Rogen is in here as well. I believe he's one of the producers. J.K. Simmons is in here. Uh, Look, I don't really have a lot to say about this besides that if you want a movie that completely revels in nostalgia and reference break uh, reference based humor and breaking the fourth wall this is exactly what this is except for me it completely fell flat i mean it was really cool to watch and be like oh you know oh there's that there's that and to rewind and see what they're referring to i mean there's a batman versus superman bit there's a watchman bit right there's all sorts of stuff yeah, there, there is a uh, midsider. Cody just said, I heard it has a random Kingdom Hearts reference, ironically enough. It does. Uh, I believe it's Sora's hair appears at one point, And I was like, oh, wow, Kingdom Hearts. Because they reference everything and anything. I mean, it, it's fast and furious, right? And that was sort of one of the things about Roger Rabbit that was kind of cool was seeing all the different cartoon characters. But Roger Rabbit had a story. There was There was something going on there that was interesting. I didn't find this interesting at all. Uh, I didn't find this humorous at all. Look, they do they explain everything? Yeah, everything makes sense internally. The logic makes sense internally. Why Chip and Dale don't sound like they did in the show makes sense, right? Why is it Andy Samberg voicing Dale? Why is it John Mulaney voicing Chip? They explain that, right? They explain that. Uh, actually, the woman who voiced gadget in the show voices gadget in the movie so it all makes sense they have explanation for that but just because it all makes sense and it's done with a degree of craft doesn't mean i find it entertaining and it's not that i would say this is like an evil movie i just don't think it's it's good i think it relies as i said too much on the reference-based humor on the nostalgia which maybe that's why they didn't release this in theaters because they thought it would bomb but I would not recommend it. I would honestly, I would give this a just no. This isn't a no, bro. This is a just no. Like I, I think there's so many better things you can watch out there, and I don't really think it's worth a lot of time continuing to parse what's going on with this movie and, and to pick it apart. Any comments on that, William? It's unfortunate. I remember us watching this in trailer takedown and saying, "Oh, this could be interesting. This could be interesting." So it's uh. I guess, uh, I guess it's a pass. It's a uh, D plus consider- continues to be D minus uh, in in their uh, in their attempts at content. Wow, that was good. Did you have that pre written? No, nah, I think I stole that from uh, Nerd Rotic. Oh, okay. That's a that very issue. Like he that. he keeps calling it D minus. Yeah, it's wasted potential, and it does end with a thing of like the original voice of Darkwing Duck being like, "We want Darkwing. We want Darkwing." Uh, so maybe they do Darkwing Duck next. I hope they do it right if they do Darkwing Duck. Because honestly, William, and we've talked about this before, if you want to see how to do a reboot correctly, just watch the the DuckTales reboot. Yeah. It was tremendous. Amazing. Amazing. Right. The only thing I'd sort of take issue with it is a couple episodes, right? There's the Shine episode, and then the second to last episode where they try and turn him into some sort of altruist with twisted logic, where they show him as the you know, self-interested capitalist, the whole series. But then the second, the last episode, they say he has to be the way he is because that creates the bad guys and you need good and bad. It was very bizarre what they did in the second, to last episode, but it was, you could tell they were trying to fit him into, you know, conventional altruistic Christian morality and it just didn't work. But beyond that, the show is tremendous and that's how you do a reboot. So, okay, let's move on. That's, that's what, was that's what is out so let's talk about what will be coming out with trailer takedown i always put the trailers in discord either the saturday or sunday before we record usually i put in the saturday i do that so 
you know, a couple reasons. One, you can give your thoughts like a few people did awesomely in the Discord this week. We got some good thoughts that I'm going to be sharing here in a moment. And also, so you can watch the trailers whenever you want. If you just want to wait till after we talk about them and watch them, or you want to alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, is the latest MCU series from Disney+. And, I mean, let me just read what people said. A resounding no, said Midsider Cody. Uh, Midsider Ed Joe says, uh, this looks like the the worst season of Orphan Black yet. Tackle the MCU at this point. And uh, Patrick says, Midsider Patrick says, goes without saying. I mean, William, I think this honestly looks like the worst thing the MCU has ever done. I mean, the CGI looks terrible. Why not just paint her green like Lou Ferrigno? Uh, and again, I just... With the tackle the MCU comment, like Ed Joe said, we know they don't have good content. So if you take away the spectacle of the MCU, what do you have? I mean, look at Loki, right? That show had spectacle and it had some sort of content to it. But you take that away, you have nothing. So I I have to tackle this. Tackle. Yeah, um, n- stealing from Nerdrotic again. Uh, Nerdrotic uh, did uh, YouTuber did a great intro. I think uh, he did the whole Ally McBeal intro and just recut the uh, the uh, uh, trailer into uh, uh, into the Ally McBeal intro. And uh, yeah, this is this is uh, peak MCU as they say. And uh, I, I, I this can't this is going to bomb. There's no other way to say this. There this this can't. Maybe China buys this? I don't know. What, what? Who is this for? We're going to have no... We've skipped over in comic book in the comic books. We've skipped over all the good comics. And now we're just getting... We jump straight in Phase 4 here to the modern shit that nobody is buying. That sells less than a thousand copies. Why? Why are we doing this? And I want to be clear, William. I, I don't want anyone to think we're talking bad about the actress. I think the actress does a good job with the content in here. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, CGI is, is terrible. The the, uh, the obviously we we can make pretty sound predictions on what the plot's going to be. Um, whether there'll be any competent good guy men, uh, the likelihood is zero percent. Um, yeah, uh, and I guarantee it won't be a bait and switch like it was with uh, Doctor Strange, right? Where it wasn't Doctor Strange movie; it was a uh, a movie about uh, I don't know. Those uh that that crazy uh Miss Marvel and uh that other chick the other sorceress chick, uh Scarlet Witch, Wanda. So, yeah, it's, yeah. So uh yeah no 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 I think uh I think we've tackled I I think at some point we're going to be called into a trial uh, and accused of white supremacy for tackling the MCU so much the tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. My Fake Boyfriend stars Keenan Lionsdale and Dylan Sprouse. In it, Keenan Lionsdale is in a, a on-again, off-again, unhealthy relationship with an, a guy because the guy doesn't basically want to commit to him, but he's quote-unquote addicted to him. So his friend, played by Dylan Sprouse, creates a fake boyfriend for him online to make the other guy jealous and get him away from that guy. But then, of course... Keenan Lionsdale's character meets another guy. And then what I thought actually was interesting about this trailer was they have a subplot here for uh, Dylan Sprouse's character actually in the trailer where he refuses to let go of the character he's created online, even though, you know, he's essentially catfishing at this point, the rest of the world, because he like uses a hologram of the guy to participate at a conference. And the guy amasses like over a million followers uh, on some social media platform. So I like that this story doesn't seem to be just about these relationships and it doesn't seem to just be a romantic comedy, but um, I think there's a little more going on here. So Midsider Patrick speculates if it's satire or not. um, And he says, my money instead, instead is on it being the new normal progressive double standard meets teen rom-com. The way to get revenge against those you feel have abused their power over you is to make them jealous. Especially if it's a faked reality to accomplishment. Everyone should desire power over others. Oh, but not the toxically masculine. Uh, he's hard tackling this. 
And I actually don't even think it's going to go that far, William. I actually think that um, this is just a straight rom-com, and I think Dylan Sprouse's character is in love with Keenan Lionsdale's character. And I think the end of this movie, the resolution will be because it, you know, it starts out with saying, you know, Lionsdale's character has never been in a healthy relationship. And I think the only way he's going to end up in a healthy relationship and the resolution of this movie will be that healthy relationship is with Dylan Sprouse's character. And that's what will make Dylan Sprouse give up this character he's created because he's only using it as an avatar to be with Lionsdale without being with Lionsdale because he doesn't want to admit he's in love with him. Maybe they'll even do something where he thinks he's straight, but he's not really straight. He's bi or pan or something. So I actually think this is a pretty predictable rom-com. They've just sexuality swaps. You know, we talk about gender swapping, right? This just seems like a cliche rom-com, except they've made it about gay people and gender and sexuality. So for me, this is a tackle. Tackle? Yeah, uh, I guess it's it's all for the eye candy. This is made for made for the women. Look at some pretty boys in some romantic situations. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I'm just looking at the comments because uh, uh, I pulled I pulled the video back up to try and see if I could say anything interesting about this. And I, you know, half the comments are like, "Oh my god, Ermagerd, hot dudes," uh, mostly from uh, from. Uh, uh, I would say mostly from the female side of things, and then the other the other comments are all about how cringy it is, I, which I can also totally see. Um, no, I don't think I'll be seeing this. I think I think this is a pass. Ugh, tackle. Third trailer. Spiderhead is a Netflix original movie starring Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. And something I've said before, I don't remember if anyone, or I don't know if anyone remembers I've said this before, that usually if you look at uh, what roles John Hamm takes, it's a pretty good indication that there's something interesting with the movie. I think the same thing is true of Miles Teller as well. I think if you look at the roles he takes, you know, not counting the Fantastic Four, but you can understand why he took that role. I think that there's interesting stuff going on. And and this movie is very interesting to me. It's sort of like the Dharma initiative and lost where it looks like people who've committed crimes or done some sort of social wrong are allowed to, as restitution participate in this study, which sees how people react to different chemicals. Uh, I really like the acting in this trailer, right? Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth are tremendous. I really like the music in this trailer, I think if they keep that sort of musical approach, I think if it's scored, and I think if the movie is scored the way the trailer is, it would make the movie be tremendous and unique. It's definitely enough to give it a, a chance. I mean, Midsider Ed Joe hugged it. I mean, it was hugged by all the Midsiders in the in the chat. Uh, but I think Midsider Koji sums it up pretty well. Looks just quirky and bizarre enough to reel me in. Yeah, I think with the town involved and the way this trailer was cut... I'm willing to give this a chance. It is the definition of a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Oh yeah, I'm all in. This looks interesting. It's it's got a nice visual style. It, it it's a world I I'm intrigued by. Um, uh, very sleek Hemsworth. visual style. Very I mean, sleek visual style. Yeah, it's very sleek. It's got Chris Hemsworth. Um, hopefully, uh, we have lots of scenes with his shirt off. But. Uh, yeah, I'm all in. Didn't this you just complain in the last trailer about people looking at guys just for eye candy? <laughs> Blamed it on the women. Mm, hug. Final trailer. 3,000 Years of Longing is George Miller's latest movie. It is visually inventive. There's no argument against this. And Midsider Cody gives it a fuck yeah. Uh if you ever saw Mad Max Fury Road, you can see that visual inventiveness in here. It is incredibly visually appealing in the same way that one was. This one stars Tilda Swinton as a lonely widow who is describes herself as solitary. And then she buys like an old heirloom. And it turns out it's a, a bottle with a genie that is Idris Elba in it. Uh, and then... Not much else happens besides like, oh, you know, what happens with wishes? What do people do with wishes? Blah, blah, blah. And that's my thing, right? 
here, let me let me read what Midsider Patrick said, and then I'll go into my thing about this. He said, I don't expect it, but I hope it sticks to the topics of freedom and political power. I like that there's no sign of an existing love interest for Athelia. I find romantic drama, especially discussions of power dynamics, completely uninteresting. Unrealized tension as an aside is okay. Stories that don't even bring it up or that have romance without conflict are best. But even if the longing in the title ends up being more about romance, I'm sure the movie will be much smarter than about it than my fake boyfriend hug. So here's the thing. This may come as a shock or it may upset some midsiders. I am not a fan of Mad Max Fury Road. Now, let me be clear. I think the technical execution of that movie is amazing. I think visually it's inventive. It's, it's awesome. But I think all of the themes in it and the thematic depth are things that people read into it. And I see the same thing here. I think this movie looks tremendous visually. I think the acting looks great. I mean, Idris Elba is awesome. Tilda Swinton is a great actress. But I don't think it's going to be going into depth about this stuff, about wishes and what you want and wish fulfillment. And yes, I do think the 3,000 Years of Longing is about the genie. And I'm sorry, Midsider Patrick, I disagree with you. I think the love interest between Tilda Swinton is Idris Elba. I think Athelia and the genie are going to have romantic tension the whole movie. I really do. I think that's what the movie is going to be about. And in that way, it'll probably be in a weird way, like the shape of water, right? With the love of the weird love affair there. But I also think this movie is going to get a tremendous amount of hype and people are going to read what they want into it because that is, I don't know if it's intentionally George Miller's trick, but that is the magic trick that keeps George Miller being hyped is He has tremendous, tremendous talent visually. And that is something that should be applauded on its own. But at least James Cameron, with his tremendous talent visually, has clear themes in his movie and clear ideas. I don't think that George Miller really does anything except just says, oh, here's a story. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're into, right? Michael Bay is not the deepest filmmaker, but he has a tremendous visual eye as well. It's a lot different from George Miller's. So there is a lot to like here, but this isn't something I'm going to be excited for. Will I see it? Yeah, I'll see this. I want to see how it's executed. I'm interested. I think there are much worse things to see in the movies. And I also think that this is something that's worth supporting because we need more like this. We need more vision like this. We need more originality like this, right? This isn't part of a franchise. But at the same time, I just am not excited because I don't expect it to be anything groundbreaking, right? When you go see, you know, an Edgar Wright movie, right? When I saw Last Night in Soho, it looked visually amazing in the trailers, but I also said, okay, there's going to be something interesting going on here because there's always something interesting going on. There's thematic depth that's integrated with the visuals that I think are missing in George Miller movies. But, you know, it'll still be a fun time. Hug. Hug. Yeah, I I, I see what you're saying as far as uh, not being intellectually deep, but but much like, uh, much like you were also saying, like, I don't need every movie to uh, change my life. This seems interesting. This seems like uh, something that would be fun. This seems like something I might have to watch more than once just to catch all the visuals uh, that are going on. But it's certainly not one of those movies where I'll have to watch more than once to make sense uh, or to make sense of the theme or to uh, have, you know, have it be some sort of like giant theme. Um, I, too, don't have my hopes up for that. But hey, like this is this is creative and interesting. And yeah, I'm in. Let's uh, let me uh, let me watch this. Netflix and hug. All right, William, that brings us to the end of the episode. What did we learn this trip? Well, I've uh, learned that uh, we need to make a mid-side movie and it be the 3,000 years of farce. Justin, what did you learn this year, this trip? I think this episode was largely focused on process and that things are in process and it's important to remember that. And even with my commentary on George Miller, Right. It's important to remember that, you know, you don't need every type of movie to be the same way, but it's the process of discussing what high art is and what good art is and 
what makes great versus good art. And somebody can be a good artist without being a great artist. But nowadays we need to praise everything or kill everything. Nothing can be in between. There can be no subtlety. And I think that that idea of subtlety and process is often lost. And I think that's an important thing to learn and take away from this trip. And I want to thank you all for coming on this trip with us, especially the people who are listening live in the Discord. You too can do the same thing because if it wasn't for them, it wasn't for you. I would just be a crazy person talking into a corner in my closet. I mean, I still am that, but I feel a little bit less crazy. Um, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store. You can also go to midside.com slash Patreon and midside.com slash locals. Or you can you know find my book, The Cut. This is all how we keep the lights on. Otherwise, you know, I'm a state employee. I would be in the gutter. No, I'm not serious. I I don't have a lot of materialistic wants. I just you know, I just <laughs> want to watch the Patriots and go to pop punk concerts in Disney. It's not it's not a lot, guys. Uh, but tell a friend, right? Because you know, witnessing you know the know, farce. You know how I know you have white privilege because I said all that. Yeah. I know they would say, "Oh man, you live such a privileged life, right?" Yeah, I'm so privileged because you know, n- no person of color could, could live the exact Disney. same life I do. Because you know, I don't go to Disney or go to pop punk concerts, and like, there's lots of people of color there, right? That never happens. Nope. Nope. And actually, my neighbors on either side of me aren't people of color either, are they? Nope, not at all. All right, well, why don't you tell a friend, right? Because witnessing the farce, it, it helps all of us. You know, it helps all of us. And hopefully, if you tell a friend, it will grow the midside and other people will be able to, you know, witness with us. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Evans, this here reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a classic day. Alright, thank you everyone for joining. Oh, they 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 hate the outro, don't they? They don't stay for the they don't stay for the for the uh for the tag.